Is there something for everyone? <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, so you take one too. Okay. And I'll take one. Here, you guys don't have to share. Oh, thanks. You're, You're welcome. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to ponder what is in your hand right now. A few questions to ponder. How old might this be? How might its life have began? How might its life have progressed? What other life forms may have affected it? What other life forms might have been affected by it? What's its relationship to water? Along with, how does it feel? What color is it? How heavy is it? What might it be made of? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. First John 1, th or John 1 through 4. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. What you're holding in your hand, Christ made this. Christ sustains its life. Christ owns it. Christ is God, the heir of the world. God appointed Christ heir of all things. Okay, discussion time. What changes for you after exploring what you have for a moment. Hmm. Like, what do you think? So maybe how how old are you in relationship to what you're holding? Maybe. Right. Nancy's holding a, a shell of one of the forms of a cicada. And we get to live, what, a day? Mm hmm. Okay. And then went underground. Seven years underground. Mm hmm. What else? Yeah. So what happens next to your twig? It either breaks down as a home for something else or, you know, there's stuff growing on it. Yeah. 
So there's other life forms that are using it as a home, as a host, as food. The concept of waste is entirely human. There is no waste in nature. There's no concept of waste. Everything that is shed or dies has a purpose for a time and then becomes food or structure or home for something else. What else changes? How did it feel to explore something from the natural world? What did it remind you of? Yeah. And I mean, they say that children learn more by playing than anything. And I think that when you grow up, you don't give yourself time to play um, and explore and kind of stop learning. So even, you know, stopping yourself right now and saying, wow, how many leaves are, you know, coming up this little twig here? Or how is, you know, just slowing yourself down enough to just be a child yeah. and wonder. You can get out of your head a little bit. What changed for you hearing a reminder of Christ's relationship to these things? Christ made this. Christ sustains its life. Christ owns it. Yeah, because Christ is paying attention. Everything has a purpose. Right. Absolutely. What else? Just the variety, just the variety of life form itself. <clears throat> yes. We can learn about an artist by noticing all the things that an artist makes. We learn about God and Christ by noticing all the characteristics of what God has created. God loves diversity. How do we know? He made so much of it. He made so much diversity in terms of ecosystems, plant life, plant structure, languages, people, cultures, Climates, God loves diversity. Yes, Mom. Um, this exercise um, reminded me it's another way I take Christ for granted every day mm. as I walk by His work. And how, how else do I take Christ for granted throughout my day? It's a great reminder to slow down and did anybody feel a spirit of appreciation when you heard about Christ's sustaining role? I do when I, when I read those words. One of the connection, one of the, uh, when we get into like creation care practices as spiritual disciplines, like any spiritual discipline, you have to know the meaning behind what you're doing. 
So I'll tell a funny story from college. We all have funny college stories, right? So <laughs> if you went to college, we all have funny high school stories. Everybody did that. Um, the, uh, so one summer, I was very passionate. I was, I was intense. I was type A. I was super motivated. And I was really like focused on um, God and the world and what, you know, the poor. And I was at Harding, so I had lots of friends who were all very focused on the same kinds of things. We were extreme and we talked about it all the time. So we all spent summers in Africa. We all spent, um, right, Andy? <laughs> One of my college friends has to, happens to be in the room. Uh, we all spent summers in Africa. We all spent, um, you know, we all volunteered with this like play, you know, play soccer with poor kids down the street kind of thing. We all just volunteered at the rape crisis center. Like we were in it all the time. Um, and once, one summer, so like the four roommates and I got back together after a summer. We had like three or three out of the four of us had been in Africa that summer. And we got back and we're like, we are not wasting water because water is so precious. And if any of you guys do the, like, the living water thing here, you hear about the miles that people walk to carry water and the, uh, the health issues with uh, contaminated water and um, like water is life. And Jesus said, I am the living water. Whoa. Right, like that's where we were. And so we're like, we are not gonna waste water. We are not gonna flush the toilet. <laughs> Because that's what, like, like two gallons of flush. Like, we are not going to flush the toilet until we absolutely have to. We all, it was bad. It was real, it was real gross. I moved, I moved home after that and tried it at my house. Got shut down real fast. Um, but seeing those connections was important for us. It was seeing the connections between what the people that we now had faces and experiences, the people we knew who were carrying water and our own water consumption became really uh, powerfully linked. So seeing those connections is a major way to connect our practices with our, um, our practices with our our goals and our lifestyles and our, our dreams and our, our vision for the world and our goal for embodying Christ and how we move through the world. Um, so one of the, a lot of my um, sustainability practices, and I'm, I will tell you, like, do not look at me as like, you know, like, I am not green girl extraordinaire by any means, but um, one, a lot of what I do really does have to do with water. and having seen different directions that water goes, it helps me see the connections. So one of the things that I do is if I have a cup that has ice or a drink that I'm not gonna finish, I either pour it down the drain, which is where water goes, um, or I pour it on a plant outside. Um, so instead, even like at the movie theater, I'll go to the bathroom and dump my giant cup of ice in the bathroom sink instead of putting it into the trash can because I know there are two paths that that water can take. And so when I pour it on a plant or I pour it like down the drain where water stays in a system, I'm choosing to put it back into the hydrologic cycle. When I pour a cup of ice on the base of a plant, I'm imagining how that water melts and is absorbed by those plant roots. Some of you have plant roots right now. Is 
taken up through the plant. It is used in photosynthesis, which is the most like impressive and awe-inspiring process by which plants literally take water, carbon dioxide, and sunlight and transform it into food. Transform it into food that is the basis of all food on the entire planet. Photosynthesis. It's big stuff. (laughs) So, um, so that plant, like that water that I'm supplying helps that plant make its own food, which is the food for then animals or, you know, decomposition, um, for fungi, for bacteria. Um, and some of that water gets evapotranspired, which is that word that means, a uh, biology word that means it gets sucked up into the plant and then it's like put out by the um, stomata of the plant and gets... Uh, absorbed back into the atmosphere. There's water vapor in the air that you're breathing right now that helps keeps you hydrated. It's also what ends up in the clouds, eventually in rain. So when I'm pouring out my cup, I'm seeing that path that that water is going to take and that that water is going to be in that path, I pray, for the whole entirety of the planet Earth long after I'm gone. Um, There's another path that that water could take. So if I put it in a trash can, then that gets, I also see the path that that takes. I see it get carried by a trash truck. I see it get dumped into a landfill. I see it mixed together with all the kinds of toxic stuff that's in the landfill. Um, and eventually, long after I'm dead, it leaches into groundwater because landfills are sealed, but their seal is not perfect and they're rated for a certain number of years. Um, but that number of years like tops out at like 200. So it's eventually gonna end up back in the groundwater, which is the purest, most like percolated, beautiful, like important water um, on the planet. Um, so, so, so much of our sustainable, like if you, are, if you choose to adopt practices, choose to adopt practices not out of a sense of guilt. I'm not here to guilt you for recycling or not recycling. You know what? We could, we could do a lot of other things. Guilt is a terrible motivator. I will not do that. Um, I don't let myself be guilted. Um, but I will, I, I'm hoping to give you a little taste of what, um, what some of these processes are like and, uh, and how changing some habits um, can help you get more in touch with the world around you, um, spiritual relationships. Holly Allen, uh, Dr. Holly Allen at Lipscomb University, uh, describes the. I don't think she came up with this, but she's the one who taught me, so I'm telling you that that was from her. Um, as relationships between self and God, between self and others, between self and the planet, and God is in and all through those relationships. Um, I could spend a lot of time talking about the ways that the consumption in part of the globe affects people in other parts of the globe. You've heard those too. Um, you've heard the way about the ways that uh, sea level rise will affect the poorest um, global uh, citizens much faster. It is already affecting poor global citizens. Um, globally, like less than $2 a day kind of global poor. Um, 
We can talk about, uh, when we talk about environmental racism, we can talk about the ways that <coughs> um, toxic sites that landfills, uh, confined animal feeding operations, um, uh, other you know, nuclear disposal sites are disproportionately sited near communities of color as opposed to communities of, um, that more equally represent the U.S. population. Um, if you're interested in that, there's a great book by Robert Ballard called Dumping in Dixie. And I teach about that in a Principles of Sustainability class as well. <coughs> it's urban and rural, it's an urban and rural phenomenon um, uh, from steel plants in Birmingham in uh, what were previously redlined African-American neighborhoods where literally there, were, there was a, line a red line drawn on a map that said, um, this is where African-American people can buy houses. Uh, this is where banks will make loans to people to buy houses, to African-American people to buy houses. Um, to, and that wasn't just a Birmingham thing, that was a, that was a national thing, that was a northern thing too. Um, and uh, as well as a rural thing. So think um, hog farms in North Carolina are disproportionately cited by towns made up of African-American residents. Some towns even places where, African, where freed slaves were resettled in resettlement communities. Um, so one of those like postures of protection and postures of nonviolent intervention is me actively saying, hey, if you're going to put, if you're going to put a uh, incinerator somewhere, it's not going to go where kids live. It's not going to go where, especially not going to go where poor kids live, especially not going to go where poor black kids live. That's, um, that's one of the things that I uh, feel really strongly about is the equal distribution of the benefit and of the cost of technologies um, and actions. I think I'm does anybody need clarification on any of that? Because I think I, I think I rambled. No. Okay. Um, any questions or comments before we move to kind of my last piece? Okay. I might have some later. Yeah. But, uh, that's okay absolutely absolutely I will write it on the board I would love to get coffee with anybody um, I, I work on campus I'm here um, <clears throat> I'm local and this this has been a journey for me I'll and I, I should have prefaced with this I should have started uh, with um, when I was growing up in churches, in wonderful churches of Christ with fantastic people who taught me the Bible, who taught me to love God, um, I kind of got the idea that, uh, about the earth, I kind of got an idea about the earth that God created humans because he wanted a relationship with humans and humans needed some place to live, so he made the earth as like a place for them. Um, 
so God had fun making the earth. He took pleasure in the earth. He said it was good, but ultimately the earth is for people. I really don't believe that anymore. Based on those verses that I read about Christ creating, sustaining, um, I, I, am, I am coming more to see that Christ and God together created the earth for their glory, not just as a home for humans. It is a home for humans, but we are deeply embedded in that home. We are not, we are stewards. We are, um, we certainly have well-developed brains to change the earth, and we have, but we have not always, um, and I think many times we've not respected the love that Christ has for creation um, for its own sake. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? Yes, Andy. I was going to say, if you go back and you read those verses like you're saying, we need to interpret because as humans, we think of ourselves first. We're a little bit egocentric, naturally. But we see it as God made the earth for us to live on, when in reality what happened is it says that God made the earth and then he made humans to take care of it. Right. And so it's, a, it's this backwards paradigm that we've always believed that we're here and the earth is here to serve us, but it's not. Now God actually made it to where we're supposed to be taking care of the animals. We're supposed to be taking care of the earth. We're essentially the, uh, the servants right. of what's already been created. Yeah. For its benefit and for the glory of God, I believe. So I would like to... When I talk to my students, um, usually by the time they're my students, they already kind of have a feeling of this, but I always affirm to them, creation care is a act of service to God. Creation care, if you are a forester, if you are a wildlife biologist, if you're a water manager, if you want to be, um, if you want to care for animals at the zoo, you are serving, you are, as a Christian, that is a, acting out of Christ's love for the, for the, and his creation of the world in the same way, I guess analogous to if you are a nurse or a doctor caring for humans and bringing healing and health, if you are a social worker bringing restored relationships, bringing benefit, there, that those are all God-honoring professions. Um, and, and uh, vocations, really. Um, so yeah, I'd love to talk to anybody about this. I generally, um, I don't get to do that, and that's fun. So one, uh, yes, sure. Um, do you hear much about the food deserts in Nashville? Yes. Okay, so food deserts are, it is a, um, is a term basically where, uh, that defines a geographic area where people do not have ready access to food, specifically the healthful foods of a life. So think about a place where you're in an urban environment where you um, cannot access a grocery store within 30 minutes of travel. That's, there's, there's some interesting definitions of food de deserts. There are rural food deserts where you might be, uh, you might be living in the middle of a cornfield, but it takes 
45 minutes to get to the nearest town that sells fresh fruits and vegetables. So food deserts are, um, are uh, and, and really food is one of my main research areas. Uh, it was in grad school. Um, there's some work being done. There's some really cool work being done in Atlanta right now. So uh, there's a community, like an intentional Christian community that started a 3,000 square foot grocery store. 3,000 square feet, that's tiny. No, so there's this community that didn't have a grocery store and the residents had to ride a bus like 45 minutes to get to it. And they talked, you know, the community organization talked to Aldi and they talked to Publix and they talked to anybody they could. And they just said, you know what, you guys don't have the population density and the income that we use when we select a location for a grocery store. It's just not gonna work for us. So they said, we'll make our own. So they've made this 3,000 square foot grocery store. Um, they take uh, uh, WIC and SNAP benefits and double them. They have a grant to double the value. So if you have a dollar of SNAP <laughs> benefits, you can get $2 worth of fresh fruits and vegetables. Really cool stuff. Um, yeah, so uh, there is certainly talk. It's um, in Nashville. Uh, I, I personally am not connected with people who are very involved in that issue other than people who are saying yes this is a need. You could look up uh, Open Table is a good organization in Nashville doing a lot of work with that and they have some ties to Otter Creek some, uh, yeah. some friendships and some uh, Cool. So are like, they selling food or giving away food? Like what's their... Yeah. Cool. Good. An eighth grade girl in, in Caldwell County, North Carolina made the front of the parade magazine because she started, they started doing community gardens where she got community people to grow to, you know, I guess for gleaning, to help, to help feed fresh food to people yeah. who didn't have it otherwise. And uh, I mean, she's been in demand to speak at colleges and everything because she just had an idea of something really simple to you know, get back to basics of food. We do have a really strong community garden network in Nashville. Um, challenges with that is that it's seasonal and it's, uh, they're usually pretty volunteer reliant. Any other questions or thoughts? Um, I would be remiss as a Christian and a scholar without telling you the truth. Um, climate change is real. Climate change is happening now. We are seeing the results of climate change. Um, it is not partisan. I'm not speaking from a political party. I'm speaking as a scientist who, um, who will, is here to say, despite what you see on the news, there is scientific consensus around climate change that it is happening and that it is caused by humans. It's happening and it's caused by humans. Also, hopeful, we have all of the technological tools we need to fix it. it we, we really do. Um, and uh, reversing global warming, you know what the number one uh, solution for reversing global warming is? It doesn't have anything to do with your personal habits, actually. Refrigerant management. The, refriger the chemicals in refrigerators and uh, like, ref like the refrigerant chemicals um, are not managed very well. They, are, they get out and they are the number one. If we attack that, I know, right? That's not what you hear. You've been duped. We've all been duped. We've been, <laughs> we've, <laughs> similarly to the way that the tobacco companies told us for decades that there is no evidence that, that tobacco causes cancer, we are being duped right now around climate change. Um, 
So uh, that said, it is, there is a need for individuals to take specific actions. The four most impactful um, decisions you can make, they all work incrementally, right? So like you don't have to do all or nothing. You don't have to become a vegan though eating a plant-based diet is a number one individual solution, or is a like top individual solution, um, adding more meatless meals per day is an incremental step. Um, having fewer children, avoiding air travel, eating a plant-based diet, and living car-free. Um, but again, every time you carpool, every time you drive instead of fly, every plant-based meal you eat matters. Um, a word about family size, and this is probably the point where I never get to ask to speak again. <laughs> Uh, um, what we know from decades of research is that the best ways to limit family size girls staying in school longer globally every year that a girl is in school longer is a year that she's not having children and will decrease her and it's also a degree the year she's not married thinking like 13 14 15 16 girls that generally I mean ages we can generally agree are not in a girl's best interest to be childbearing, biologically, emotionally, physically, etc. Um, girls staying in school longer. So really like sponsoring a girl to stay in school in a developing country is an act of climate change resistance. Um, comprehensive sex education. There is, there is no question, the research points to comprehensive cons uh, sexual education um, reduces Pregnancy reduces sexually transmitted disease, reduces all of the benefit, or all of the challenges of um, uh, birth rates and climate change. Um, making choices available, low-cost, effective contraception. Having many choices, having choices for different type, uh, stages of life, making them all available and low-cost um, and gender equality. Uh, so in terms of individual action, once basically preaching the word that once you're done having children, you know what, there's medical, there's medical things to do to um, take effective, long-lasting action. I told you. <laughs> I warned you. All right. Anything else? We're about out of time. We've got two minutes left. I think. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Mark wants the bug back. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, and you can either trash your leaves or put them back in my bag. That's up to you. Okay. Thank <laughs> you.